was a young boy Roaming on the railroad track Put copper pennies on the rail Locomotive come and squash them flat We'd run to fetch them back We'd run to fetch them back Summer nights at Grandma's house Cozy in my bed Dreams of far off places Other lives to be led Swirling in my head Swirling in my head There's a train in the distance There's a whistle calling There's a train in the distance Silver moonlight falling Now I am a grown man Turning in my sleep Debts and obligations Family ties run deep Promises to keep Promises to keep But there's a train in the distance There's a whistle calling There's a train in the distance There's a light rain falling Hey, this is Ronnie and Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. This year marks the bicentennial of the birth of Henry David Thoreau, local environmentalist, scientist, and artist. After talking with the founder of the Walden Woods Project, Don Henley, it becomes clear that Thoreau influences us all more than ever 200 years later. During college in the 1960s, it was Emerson's work that initially ignited Don Henley's songwriting interest. And it was Thoreau's political, environmental, and social justice work that resonated with Don, influencing his life and music. Whether he is known to you as a co-founder of the Eagles, singer, drummer, or prolific songwriter, Don Henley is actively helping to carry Thoreau's messages forward to new generations through his work with the Thoreau Institute at Walden. Before we begin, we'd like to talk a bit about the Walden Woods Project. Founded in 1990 by Don Henley, the Walden Woods Project preserves the land, literature, and legacy of Henry David Thoreau to foster an ethic of environmental stewardship and social responsibility. The project achieves this mission through the integration of conservation, education, and research. Thoreau's writings provide insight into some of the most urgent issues of our time. These include understanding and protecting the biological diversity of life, living on a planet of limited resources, and the role of personal responsibility in today's world. There are a couple events we'd like to tell you about. The first is a special event at the Walden Pond Visitor Center on September 14th at 11 a.m., celebrating the bicentennial year of Thoreau's birth. Don Henley will be there to talk about some new interpretive exhibits at the center. 
Additionally, on Friday, September 15th, Don will host the Walden Woods Project's 2017 Global Environmental Leadership Award Dinner at Symphony Hall. This year's honoree is University Research Professor Emeritus at Harvard, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, and this century's most eminent biologist, Edward O. Wilson. There will be a special 30-minute performance by Paul Simon. Admission is through pre-purchased tickets only. For more information, call 781-259-4700 or email wwproject at walden.com. Org. For general information about the Walden Woods Project, please visit walden.org. Okay, here's our conversation with Don Henley, recorded at the Walden Woods Project's Thoreau Institute at Walden Woods Library in Lincoln, Massachusetts. You know, before we begin, I had a, a little birthday present for you. Oh, thank you. We figured you probably have about... 30,000 Walden books. Yeah. But this is something, this this just came out. I know. Oh, you knew. Do you have it already? <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Right, well, you can re-gift it. Yeah, I, I have it. And I read a, I've read a lot of good things about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got it from my dad for his birthday, and that's all I got. So. Okay. How about if I donate it to this library? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, donate it. Okay. You know, I, I thought, well, he probably has every book, but I bet he doesn't have this one. Yeah, like, um, yeah. But, uh, we gave it a but shot. I haven't, I haven't cracked but it what yet. But you, what you don't have, Don, is... The one of these the glasses. glass. Oh, you can if you do have one, I'd be, I would be really surprised. <laughs> no, I don't have that. <laughs> well, that's yours for the taking. Unless you want to donate that as well. It's, no, no, I like that. So yeah, we we've been doing this podcast for now a year. We've talked to. Have you? I'm just starting. I'm so far behind the times. I'm just starting to get into the whole podcast world. You yeah. Know what I mean? I listen to uh, This American Life. Yeah, that's great. That's and, one of the original. And, and, yeah, podcasts, and, and a right? couple of the others, um, and so I'm. Some younger people, my kids are teaching me about podcasts. Yeah. Well, it's incredible. I mean, you can just be anywhere, whether you're yeah. walking around the park or in a car. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, Put press your, pause your buds, and your then... buds in and, and go for it. Where are you coming in from? I came in um, yesterday from New York City. Okay. We've just been down there doing a concert. On tour with Steely Dan. Yeah. I wouldn't, it's, it's not really a tour. It's just sort of a couple of special events that were held on weekends. We did Dodger Stadium a couple of weeks ago and, and then we did uh, well it's called City Field now that's the, the corporate name but it's actually where the Mets play baseball right and we did that this past weekend and then you had your birthday bash <laughs> yeah I sandwiched that in between the, the Dodger Stadium and the Mets Stadium concerts yes well happy birthday thank you it's not bad actually it's a, it's a big number but it's not it's not all that bad so far good good that's good to hear well you're, you're here this is a very kind of big time uh, as far as the uh, Walden Woods organization. Yeah, speaking of birthdays. And yes, big years. exactly. The bicentennial. Exactly. Of, uh, of Henry. Yeah, Henry, July 12th. Three of my heroes had birthdays this month. Uh, Ringo Starr, his yeah. birthday was on July 7th. And uh, my birthday was July 22nd. And um, Rose Kennedy's birthday is the same day as mine. Oh, really? Yeah. Ringo Starr is the same day as my daughter's. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's a big month. And... Uh, Thoreau was July's twelfth. Twelfth, yeah, yeah. Eighteen, seventeen. Right, yeah. He's a little older than me. <laughs> not, not much, but a little. But uh, yeah, I've I've read so many wonderful articles that have been published about him uh, during this bicentennial year. There's some really great writing and new things that people have been discovering about his personality. You know, he's he's been very misunderstood and mischaracterized over all these years, and people are just now finding out who and what he really was and it's it's been good to read those things and and to know that people are learning more about him 
we had a very interesting conversation with with Jeff, mm-hmm. and we've discovered this just in doing our research about how John. I'm going to butcher his name again. Muir. 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 You know, he was influenced by him, who in turn John influenced. Teddy Roosevelt to start the whole conservation project in the United States, right? Um, which led parks. to the national yeah, parks. Yeah, national system. parks, right? Yeah, there's a there's a direct line leading from our national park system back to Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau, one of his famous quotations is, "Every town should have a park of a thousand or more acres where never a stick is cut for firewood or for shipbuilding." And and he was one of the first people to articulate that. I'm sure that Frederick Law Olmsted, the gentleman who built Central Park in New York City, was familiar with Thoreau's work. So he started a lot of things that, that he didn't really get credit for. The influence that he had on many different aspects of society is pretty remarkable. Yeah, he was a dual-sided coin. On, on one side was the ecological slash spiritual part, and on the other side was uh, the slavery issue. He, he was one of the first abolitionists, one of the first people to speak out publicly against slavery. There was another article that was published in the past few weeks that talked about the fact that he, you know, he was known as a hermit who lived in the woods. He didn't live there alone. Uh, he lived there with a lot of people who were right. sleeping on the ground, basically. They called them marginalized people would live out there because it wasn't usable farmland, right? Yeah. Well, they were a lot of them were escaped slaves who were trying to make their way to the north to freedom. Thoreau's family, his mother and father, were all part of the Underground Railroad, which helped freed slaves escaped to the northern territories and he befriended a lot of those people who slept in the woods there were also the my people the shanty irish uh, <laughs> who who were also considered uh, less than equal in, right. in the social hierarchy and a lot of them were sleeping in the woods as well so he wasn't really alone out there he was with a lot of other people who were who were not accepted in society and didn't really have homes and he, he befriended a lot of them, uh, entertained some of them in his little cabin, you know, would invite them over for a chat. So people are just learning all those things about him now. Well, that's interesting because you do have that. I have always had that image of him in a cabin alone mm-hmm. at Walden Pond. Yeah. And well, <laughs> well, he was alone sometimes, yeah. but you, yeah. have, you have to remember that it wasn't that far from town. He would walk into town almost every day, right. and he liked social contact. He liked to talk to people. He liked to, to get the latest news, you know, what was going on around town and in politics and whatnot. And so he, he very much was in contact with, with civilization and with other people. It wasn't like he was, you know, isolated in yeah. some faraway wilderness. Uh, right. That's the hermit. Yeah, where the hermit comes from. Yeah, where people don't. Realize, yeah. yeah, but you know, he was he was considered by a lot of the town folk as an oddball and a ne'er do well and a guy who didn't hold down a regular job and he was always walking around with his journal. But the fact is, is he was an excellent gardener and he was hired by a lot of the townspeople to plant and tend their gardens, including his friend Nathaniel Hawthorne. Thoreau had a green thumb which is a little bit ironic because there's a chapter in Walden called The Bean Field where he apparently just gives up because he doesn't want to attack the weeds that are encroaching upon his bean field. And he, he has a conflict between letting wild nature take its course and being the guy who beats it back and, and tries to manicure the bean field. So he has this big conflict about that. The other thing that people didn't know, that I didn't know about him until this book came out, uh, that you just so kindly gave me, uh, a book called The Boatman, was his life on the rivers right. around Lincoln and Concord, around the, on the local rivers. He was one of the early limnologists, which, as, as you probably know, is a, a term for people who study 
lakes and the life of lakes and rivers. <laughs> he was a limnologist. He was a hydrologist. He was, he was a, a great many things, this man, because he studied things in detail. He looked at the world around him in great detail and made notes about it. And I'm sure you know that his notes are being used to study climate change now. Uh, there's that book called Walden Warming by Richard Primack. Uh, I'm sure we have copies of it here. With every year that goes by, more and more things, are, extraordinary things are, are discovered about this man and, and what he did while he was living. So it is the 200th anniversary. It's the bicentennial of, mm-hmm. of Thoreau. It's also you're going, you have coming up the Global Environment Leadership Award dinner where you're honoring Edward Wilson. E.O. Wilson, yeah. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting, especially right now in this kind of political climate. His his book or his his theory there is like his moonshot, Half Earth, about 50% of the earth being put aside for just nature, which will save like 80% of you know, species, yeah. a species that could that could go extinct in this political climate where all these denials, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's I like I say political climate that, oh yes, well, you yeah. know, <laughs> climate's a nice word for yeah. it, but yeah. it's, it's a tough time. Yeah, it's, it's a really tough time. And I, it's, it's difficult to, to get up every day and stay positive and, and stay focused on, on the effort at, at hand. But I've lived long enough to know that the pendulum swings, you know, and eventually it will swing back the other way. I wish it would come to rest in the middle sometimes, but we seem to be, we seem to have become a nation of extremes. We swing way over to one direction and then we swing way over to the other direction instead of landing in the middle, which Aristotle advised us was the right place to be, you know, in his doctrine of the mean. The right place to be is, is an area between excess and deficiency. I admire Dr. Wilson a great deal. He is one of the preeminent scientists still living on this planet. You know, he's won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, He is an extraordinary man. He's on our advisory board. And uh, there's no one more deserving than he is to be recognized for his work. Paul Simon, who I also admire greatly, just finished up a tour this summer. And he donated all the net proceeds to Dr. Wilson's Foundation for the Preservation of Biodiversity. That's fantastic. Yeah. And Which, he'll be playing at the, at the gala as well. He's going to do a short set at the gala. In, he is? Yeah. Yeah, oh, wow. about 30 minutes yeah. in honor of Dr. Wilson because he admires the man so much. But Dr. Wilson and his efforts to sustain biodiversity, again, goes right back to Thoreau, who said, in wildness is the preservation of the world. It's often misquoted as, as in wilderness is the preservation of the world, but the word, the word he used was wildness. But the two are interchangeable, wildness, wilderness, whichever one you want to call it. But he, but he understood back in the mid-19th century that the only way for humankind to survive is to preserve enough of the wild places and the wild species on the earth that we coexist with these things. You know, we got the idea a long time ago. There was this thing called manifest destiny. I mean, it, goes, it even goes back to biblical times. All this stuff about go forth and conquer the earth and subdue it, conquer all the birds of the air and all the fishes of the sea. Some people took that literally, go forth and make the deserts bloom. And the bottom line is if we continue to conquer and subdue nature, we're going to end up conquering ourselves. We Somewhere along the line, we developed this Cartesian theory, this duality that we are, we are different from the rest of nature. We are somehow above it, and it is this other thing outside of us that we live with, but we are supposed to control. And Thoreau and Dr. Wilson and people who have thought about the issue want us to understand that we are not separate from nature. We are not above nature. We are not better than nature. We are part of it. When we destroy nature, we destroy ourselves. You know, it's as simple as that. You know, if we're going to continue to exist on this planet, 
going to have to exist in some kind of a harmonious state with every other living thing on the planet. That's been stated more eloquently by a lot of people before me, but that's the bottom line to it. Well, I think what's very powerful about it is that we've been talking about this in recent years, and people think that it's a new concept when really there are people like Thoreau, and who knows before him. There's been 200 years of of thought. And to me, to look at the legacy of what he's done, you can see the power of how that trickles up, not Mm -hmm. just, as you said, things like the national parks will all date back to him. Yeah. But to think about what he, the ripple effect that he yeah. and others caused. Well, he was very much into Eastern philosophy. He studied uh, Buddhism and Hinduism and a lot of the, the ancient philosophies that come from the Far East, which yeah. have a natural component to them. And uh, I think that was part and parcel of his philosophy. So we talked with Jeff or Jeff Kramer earlier about how Emerson was certainly a mentor and he sort of mm-hmm. took... Mm-hmm took Thoreau under his wing a little bit. And, you know, I just recently learned this where it wasn't really until about 100 years ago, so early 1900s, to even, I think, the 1950s is when Thoreau started to have more of the ability to connect with people. Yeah. And that his writings were not really known for so long before that. It was really all about Emerson. Thoreau was not not very popular in his lifetime. <laughs> yeah, we just learned that as well. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, We did, yeah. yeah. Jeff told us all about it. Yeah. yeah. How unpopular Henry was. Yes, yeah. especially around here in his, yeah, his home exactly. community. Yeah. You know? When he burned half the yeah, town down. Well, yeah. That, <laughs> it, it grew back. It right. did grow back. Oh, yeah, yes. I want to hear about that. But, but <laughs> we, One reason why I brought it up was in the 50s and 60s is when he came into more of the yeah. vernacular, and you hear about Martin Luther King was very inspired by him. Yes. I know that you were inspired by him in, or were interested in him in college. Yeah, when I was in my 20s, my early 20s. Uh, back in the nineteen sixties, fits yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, he was. Thoreau was very much part and parcel of the uh, flowering, if you will, of the baby boomer generation. You know, the the whole hippie, flower child, back to nature movement that spawned things like Woodstock and all that sort of thing. If all the young people, college students in particular, had a copy of Walden or some other thorough writing tucked under their arm and would sit out on the campus under trees and read him that was going on a lot back in the 60s and carried on into the early 70s and that's when I discovered him as well when I was about 21 or 22 and Emerson Emerson was very important to me Mm -hmm. I discovered Emerson actually first and I read his essay called Mm Self-Reliance which really struck me uh, you know because I was trying to become a songwriter and uh, there are passages in that essay from Emerson that speak to that, to anybody who wants to write or to create. I think the line is, uh, the quote is, to believe in your own thought, uh-huh. to believe that what is true for you is true for every man. That is genius. And I looked at that and I went, wow, okay. So Thoreau came into prominence in, during the post-World War II years and, and on up through the 60s and 70s. And we have uh, papers from Martin Luther King's files here in our collection, in our archive. And uh, Gandhi's nephew has been here. The legacy of of Thoreau is extraordinary. A few months ago, we had a gentleman from Iran who some of our supporters put up the money to fly him here. And he is undertaking a brave and possibly quite dangerous project, which is to translate Walden into Farsi. It's never been done. Really? because he wants his people to get Thoreau's message. That reminds me of the, the Thoreau effect. I know that you've worked on other projects. And when Chuck mentioned about E.O. Wilson, mm-hmm. that's a global 
connection to Thoreau, not just in time, but in space. Oh, yeah. His work has certainly been published and read around the world. Other than uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And, and Gandhi, some of the other people who were influenced by Thoreau uh, were uh, the Russian writer Leo Tolstoy and uh, the people who were involved in South Africa in the anti-apartheid movement mm-hmm. read Thoreau. He has been influential across the globe, either for his environmental writings or for his social reform work. He's just now beginning to get his due, and it couldn't come at a better time. Uh, We need his words badly. You're, you're probably one of the only musicians I know who quote Emerson and Thoreau on a regular basis. <laughs> and it's great. It's great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wonder how, I mean, you obviously are a voracious reader since you read that book that I, that I got you and it just came out like about three, four hours ago. Yeah, well, I haven't finished it yet. Yeah, uh, well, but, but you started it. I was I impre- I'm impressed. I thought I'd, I thought I'd trick you into getting a book no. that you didn't read, but I, I missed out. It's, it's a fascinating book. It's, 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 it's a whole side of him that I didn't know about and a lot of people didn't know about. Yeah. And it, it inspires me even more because I have another nonprofit in my home area in Texas. down in Texas that deals with uh, lakes and rivers. Right, the Cattle Lake Institute? Cattle Lake Institute. Yeah. We study and protect a 27,000-acre wetland that's located uh, on the border of Texas and Louisiana. I was so happy to, to read the, about his involvement with water because I, I didn't know. So that completes the circle in oh, a way yeah. for me. That's wild. But you can see uh, a lot of the, I mean, the whole thing about the environment and your social issues that you cover, you, you, you cover these in all your songs that you write. So Some of them, yeah. Well, the, the other thing about Thoreau was he, he was a musician. Well, right. You were going to ask about this, some music here in the library. Yeah, yeah. I was curious because you, you, know, you know certainly about his writings and, and some of the artwork, mm-hmm. but 
the music itself. He wrote he, music. Did he play a flute as well? He played a flute. Yeah. yeah. Which won't get you very far. You know, but, <laughs> yeah. but in the music world, but but it's a peaceful instrument. I mean, I can imagine him sitting in the woods playing a flute. Right. I have friends who play not the more modern metal flutes, but they play the old wooden. Sure. One straight ahead. The, the, sure. Yeah, the the pan flute, I think it's called, or or, or an Indian, yeah. uh, an American Indian flute. In Which fact, was a big influence of his in general, the yeah, American Indian. The American influence. Indian was a, was a big influence on Thoreau. But I have a friend who actually goes out in boats up in uh, Washington State and plays flute to the whales. They come, <laughs> they come? They come to the boat. It's an extraordinary thing. Yeah. There's actually a video of a man in, I think, Ireland that plays a trombone for cows. <laughs> yeah, they come. And I've they just them. come, the whole herd yeah. comes over those to him over viral, the fence. Those viral videos, yeah. you can see the people Well, the trombone has a sort of a cow-like sound to it. That was, that was actually my first instrument. Trombone? It was yeah. my second instrument. My first instrument was a ukulele, and then, and then I started playing trombone in the high school marching band, but I was terrible at it, so I switched to drums. But Thoreau was a musician. He did, he did write music. I think we have maybe some copies of, of some of the things he'd written. Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't know how accomplished he was or how well he played, but he did that, and he loved music. He also wrote poetry, which I have to say is not very good. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, you can't be good at all things. You can't be good at everything. Yeah. But he was good at a lot of things. Yeah. You know, he was a surveyor. He was a gardener. He worked in his parents' pencil factory. He was a, a journalist. He, he did a great many things, and he did them well. This library is fantastic. It's a gorgeous library. Thank you. They've done a, they've done a, you've done a fantastic job. And, and um, Well, you know that quote about Thoreau. He, he said, I have a dream of a, a library in the woods. Really? really? So look yeah. at you. You, just, you. you made that dream come true. I don't even know if I had that in mind when we did this, but, it, but he actually said that. I dream, I dream of a library in in in, a, in the woods. And we're in the woods. It's so well done, and this chandelier with yeah. the trees is beautiful. Yeah. Jeff told me about the uh, if you look at Cape Cod, Walden walking, mm -hmm. the different trees that are the mold into the wood are reflections of the trees that are the shrubs or whatever that are actually in the book in yeah. the specific book. We tried yeah. to make this entire room and this entire structure botanically accurate and to to reflect the plants and the the places that you talked about. So you, if you look, you, you have to look closely and you have to know what you're looking at. Right. But I'm feeling bad that I said the word shrub, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> can we edit that out, Chuck? No, I'm yeah, keep that in there. Shrub out. And, Just, and the carpet, <laughs> the carpet. Right. right, the carpet too. The carpet we're sitting on contains all the plants that he wrote about that grow here in Walden Woods. So You're immersed. You're immersed. When you walk in. You mentioned Emerson mm -hmm. as we sit here in this room. We have, we have Emerson collections, too. Right. What he talked about for creativity in writing your own song, or I can't eloquently say the quote that you did, but how did that influence writing, or did it? Well, he said that you have to believe in your own thought. When I began to write songs, I, I didn't have any self-confidence. I mean, well, you know, who am I to be? I'm 21, 22 years old. What have I got to offer the world? You know, I'm not a poet. I'm not skilled in songwriting. I'd had piano lessons, you know, that my mom made me take, and I could play guitar a little bit, but I didn't really have any qualifications. But in rock and roll, you don't really need any qualifications, <laughs> obviously. Uh, you can turn on the radio and, and prove that in any, any moment. Um, it's a game, really, for amateurs, but I wanted to become professional at it. And Emerson's words struck me because he simply said, you have to believe in your own thought. He, he talked about, there, there's a song by Jackson Brown called Every Man. Mm -hmm. And I studied, I was an English literature major in college. And that theme of every man kept cropping up. 
Thoreau was an everyman. As the late great writer E.L. Doctoreau, who was also one of our supporters, said, Thoreau made himself an everyman, and he made Walden his everywhere. He made it a universal place. His friends used to tease him because he hadn't traveled extensively. He'd only been up to New England. He'd been down to Manhattan and um, never been to Europe. And he would say to them, I have traveled much in Concord, meaning I've seen everything there that you will see in your worldwide travels. The same humanity, the same nature, the same natural processes, and the interactions of humans are really the same everywhere. We might be different colors, we might be different races, there might be some different flora and fauna in some places on Earth, but the interaction and the basic structure is the same. He was a lot smarter than his friends. Yes, he was. (laughs) So I had some wonderful professors in college, some English professors um, in Texas, actually, Um, but they were brilliant professors, and I learned a lot about universality and how things are connected. I learned how to connect the dots which is another thing that Thoreau did. And so when I read those words by Emerson, to believe in your own thought, to believe that what is true for you is true for every man, it really struck a deep chord in me. And I thought, okay, I'll just start writing down my thoughts and see if anybody listens. What I had to learn later is that if you don't put those thoughts to a catchy melody and a good beat, then nobody's going to listen to them. You know, you're so right because songwriting is... Condensed. It's something that, there was someone that taught me this once, that if it doesn't resonate with others, they don't see it in their own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell a great story. I mean, Dylan could obviously tell a great story. Yeah. But only certain people can do that. Songwriting is tricky because in, in a novel or in a, a written work, you have hundreds of pages in which to stretch out. Yeah. A song has to be condensed into three or four minutes. In the old days, it was two minutes and 50 seconds. If anything was longer than that, they wouldn't play it. So you have to condense all your thoughts and your little story into about three minutes, which is trying to like, like writing a haiku, you know. Uh, <laughs> and there are components. There, there are the words, and then there's the melody that you have to marry those words to. And you have to marry each word to the right note to make it believable. That's what a lot of kids don't understand about songwriting. Marry the word to the note. It, it, marry, the marrying of the word to the right note to make it believable and conversational. Or as my friend Stan says, you've put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. (laughs) And um, Like thorough and not thorough? Exactly. (laughs) I I, I pronounce it both ways. I I go back and Uh, forth. And then then there's the rhythm. There's the beat. And then there's the chord progression. So there are all these components that have to come together in just the right way. You came out with the album Cask County Mm -hmm. in in 2015. I can't remember reading that this was something that you'd wanted to do for a while. More Mm -hmm. of a country-based album yeah was it easier for you to write for that type of music than for for rock was it that something a, a different kind of dynamic for you some of the songs were easier and, and some weren't you yeah know? songwriting is hard it's difficult for me another one of my heroes and another man who is influenced obviously by Thoreau is a guy named Wendell Berry who is a farmer in Kentucky who writes poetry and books the guy's a genius I think he's 82 years old now and uh, he talks about the creative process. And he said there are two parts of it. There's the inspiration, and then there's the actual work. So it's, and songwriting is like that, too. You might get a fabulous idea, but then you have to sit down and do the grunt work, you know, by getting it down on paper and getting it on tape or, what, or a chip or whatever you put it on now. But, yeah, yeah, some of my songs have apparently connected with a lot of people. 
I tend to think of other songs by other people that that, if, that I think are masterworks that have inspired me. What comes to mind? One of the first songs that always comes to mind is uh, Don McLean's song about Vincent Van Gogh, Starry, Starry Night. Yeah. That song is a masterpiece. Uh-huh. It's a novella. A lot of Paul Simon's work, to me, is, is brilliant. Uh, my friend Randy Newman, who people misunderstand completely. They, they don't understand that he's doing social satire. All they know is two songs of his, Short People and I Love L.A., and they think that's... Yeah. that's but that's just the tip of the iceberg. With or him. that he's Toy Story or something. Yeah, or Toy Story. Right. You know, but, he, but he writes deeply moving and yes. deeply thoughtful songs about culture, about America. I remember hearing Paul Simon talk about Randy Newman as well right. and how he was able, the way that he pronounced words, the way that he would say mm-hmm. a single word. Mm-hmm. You talked about before about marrying it to the specific, the note. Yeah. And it was humor as well that he could really touch yeah. on. He can, he can do humor and, and pathos in the same song. You know, he can make you laugh and cry in the same song. And just to give him a little plug, his new album is coming out on August 4th. And it, it's brilliant. Every song is, is like a, a mini musical. You know, there's a song about Putin, which he released a few weeks ago, uh-huh. um, about Vladimir Putin. Right. There's a song that is an imaginary conversation between Jack Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy. Really? <laughs> that's, that's really, <laughs> really interesting. Uh, there are some love songs that will, awesome. that will rip your heart out. The guy's just brilliant, and he's, he's a musician. I mean, he composes. He comes from a family of composers. I mean, both of his uncles scored probably most of the black and white movies you've ever seen. Really? Yeah. So Interesting. He, he, you know, the, the entire family is brilliantly talented. So his songs, uh, you know, really move me. Leonard Cohen is another one mm. that I greatly admire, and we lost him recently. Yeah. So I, I aspire to be as good as some of those guys. Who are you listening to that would surprise us? Chopin. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. That's uh, nice in the woods. That's a, it's a, it's a, that's a tough pop question. But yeah. yeah uh, oh, what, well, what about new, sort of newer acts? Mm, yeah. That's where I go, Oxymoron? I, I go blank. How about Steely Dan? You listen to Steely I Dan? I love Steely Dan. Yeah, 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 we just did two shows with them. Yeah, you know, no. they're, they're the same generation I am. So yeah, we, I'm we, a huge Steely Dan fan. They're brilliant. They're yeah. just brilliant. Uh, but I I don't listen to the radio too much. You know, when you do music for a living, you know, I prefer silence. Yeah, <laughs> no. The time I just... That's what Keith Lockhart said. He's like, I never listen to music because I'm... I, that's my life. Yeah, so yeah, what am I, yeah, I going to do in my off time? I'm yeah, not listen to music. Yeah, I'd rather read a book or, yeah. or maybe listen to a podcast or something like that. <laughs> there you go. I, I just don't listen to a lot of stuff. I'm trying to think of new acts that I think are great. Well, I think Bruno Mars is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think he's the real deal. Mm-hmm. He's the best thing I've heard lately. Okay. In the past few years. And yeah, I know he's not music. brand new, but he's, right. he's well, m- yeah. newer, new enough. He's relatively new. And he, I mean, his, his voice is uh, freakishly like Michael Jackson sometimes. Some of the stuff he does and, uh, yeah, well, and the beat behind it. He's a talented guy. Well, he can mimic a lot of people. He did that great bit on Saturday Night Live where he, 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 uh, they had him mimicking a lot of his contemporaries. <laughs> um, I don't know if I saw that. You, you should see it. Yeah, okay. a, he's a great actor. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm curious I'll about? Don, is, um, you're talking about writing, of course, and how and back in high school when you you went from trombone to drums, mm-hmm. or was it? Yeah, that's in, right. In the it band. was in high school. Yeah. What do you think rhythm? How does rhythm connect with you still? Does rhythm and the beat are they backbones to your songs? Do you think in rhythm, or do you think in melody, or both, or depend on the day? That, it depends on the day. My my songs happen in different ways. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes it will start with a rhythm. Sometimes it'll start with a title. Sometimes with a snippet of lyrics. You know, I've started songs from back to f- and written them from back to front. You know, mm-hmm. come up with the last couple of lines and then write backwards from there. A lot of things happen simultaneously. I do think about the beat because I'm a drummer. You know, I don't like a lot of the artificial beats that are being created today with machines and things like that. I prefer more organic, although I have used machines, I admit, but I prefer more organic beats. Been exploring a lot of um, instruments lately that are more ancient, like ancient drums from other cultures, mm. African drums, drums from the Middle East, ancient Celtic percussion instruments. I like those sorts of things and incorporating them. On the Cass County album, there's a song called Praying for Rain. Yeah, it's and on a beautiful that song, song. Thank you. In order to recreate the sound of rain, we used an instrument called a hammered dulcimer. Oh, sure. oh yeah. I heard yeah. it in there, yeah. Yeah. It's a dulcimer that you play with these little mallets, little right. hammers. Wonderful instrument. And um, I like to throw things like that in, into the mix. You know, I listened to some of the records I made in the 1980s, and they sound very 80-ish. You know, there was that's when... That was the heyday of synthesizers and, and all the that technology was coming out. But I think we've gone, well, we've gone simultaneously in two directions. We've gone back to more organic instruments, but we've also gone into more electronics in, in another way. And, and all that's fine. You know, it depends on what kind of music you want to make. And it, there's so many possibilities now with computers and digitization. Uh, the possibilities are endless. Right. And you have to be careful with the tools that you use, you know, because... Tools are only as good as the people using them, and you can really overuse the technology, and the music gets lost. It, the music becomes the technology. Yeah. Instead of a song, it's, it's a conglomeration of special effects and what we call outboard gear and electronics, and the song gets lost in all of that some, somehow. That's why I'm so happy that like bluegrass is, is so big right now. Oh, you've, yeah. you've interviewed a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, all those classic bluegrass instruments are, not, I don't even say they're coming back, but they're certainly more prevalent. Yes. Than, than, and I think that, that's fantastic. We've also just saw... Recently, uh, the Silk Road project from Yo-Yo Ma. I've, I've heard of that. I've seen it. it it's one of the most well, extraordinary things. Yeah, those instruments you're exploring from the from yeah. the east. Yeah, I mean, that really makes me. Well, I'd never that seen too. those instruments yeah. before. I, some I, of those. I didn't know that Celtic music had had made its way into Spain, but but that the right. woman who's in the, the, yeah. the, the Silk Road band, Christina Pato, P A T O. Yeah, right. She's a bagpiper. Right, right. And a pianist, and oh. yeah, it's but, in, it's in, yeah, she's in, she's from Spain, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it, I guess the Celtic culture made made it down that far into the south. I saw them play. Oh, it's been a few years now. If they ever come to any vicinity where I'm, you know, if I'm a hundred miles away, I'll be be happy to go and see it again. Yeah, we saw them at the Sanders Theater at Harvard. Yeah, we're we we're, we're, we're gonna have uh, Wu Man is her name. She's the Chinese performer on that guitar. Okay, um, it's not a guitar. Sorry, yeah, I forgot whatever, the name. Whatever it might be, we're gonna have her on the show too. But. Wonderful, but I I love traditional instruments. Uh, my ancestors in Ireland were harpists. Hmm. Uh, Every clan had a harpist. And my mother's maiden name in Gaelic, her name is McQuirter, which was translated from, the the original word was McCruithler. Okay. And a cruith is a harp. Okay. So her name means son of the harper. Oh, excellent. So every clan had its own harpist, if you will. And I'm just now finding all this stuff out about my my mother's family, and it's 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 quite fascinating. Huh. Have you gone to visit where your ancestors have been? From? I've gone near there. They were in Scotland first before they went to Ireland. They were in the southwestern part of Scotland, and it's just a short hop over to Northern Ireland from there. Mm. And there's a there's a castle back there somewhere that has 
little they're not gargoyles but they're it's adorned with little men who are holding instruments that look like lutes hmm. and it belonged once to my mother's family oh, it really? doesn't anymore unfor- oh, unfortunately <laughs> it's, it's 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 been got sold <laughs> several times oh, <clears throat> but I, I i still have to go back it, it's not far from glasgow you know in the, the county is, is or the shire is called ayrshire and it's where the the scottish poet robert burns uh, grew up and that's where my mother's people, that's where I've traced them to hmm. before they went to Ireland. So all that sort of thing is, is very fascinating to me. But traditional instruments, bluegrass goes in cycles. I remember it was very popular back in 69 and 70 when I first went to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know, There was a group called the Dillards who were extremely popular at that time. They were a progressive bluegrass group. Uh, people know them because they were the Darling family on the Andy Griffith show. Okay. They were, they were the ones. I, I know exactly who you're talking about. Right. But they were a, a couple of brothers from Salem, Missouri, and, and some of their friends. And we just worshipped them. We went to see them at clubs. They huh. were great harmony singers and great players. And they, they were around for a few years. And they, they started the Bluegrass Revival back in the late 60s and 70s. And it, you know, it waxes and wanes. It comes around, but it's still a healthy form of music. There's a big blue, there are bluegrass festivals all over. There's yeah. a big one in Kansas every year. I went to that once, and it was a life changing experience. I really, I really want to go back. Those people are ridiculous it's who play there. Extraordinary, it's unbelievable. We have a couple of great bluegrass players in our band. Stuart Smith can play flat picking like nobody's business, and, yeah. now, and now Vince Gill, of course, is yeah. In, yeah, right in the band, and and they can really go to town on this stuff. What's going on now with that uh, with East West? Yeah, well, we just finished it in New York this past weekend, and um, given the positive re- reception that we've received, and much to my surprise in the press, uh, the, you got some great reviews. <laughs> I read them. Yeah, I didn't expect great reviews in New York, frankly, to tell you the truth. Oh, really? So good reviews. You had good reviews in even yeah, in New York. Yeah, it was great. Even, even in New York. <laughs> even in New York. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's always been a, kind of an East Coast West Coast uh, rivalry, you know. Uh, but um, no, it's been a it's been a beautiful thing, you know, having having Glenn's son in the band, and he's it's extraordinary what he's done because the kid is only twenty four years old, right. and he's never played until we did Dodger Stadium. He'd never played in front of an audience that was larger than one hundred and fifty people. That's pretty terrifying. And he got up there and did it, and did it with grace and and dignity, yeah. and, and uh, it, we're all extremely proud of him. That's so, really obviously in the family, in the in, in the musical family yeah. too. It looks is, just like his dad. Yeah, I mean, sounds like I'm too, like him too. Yeah. yeah, looking at him from the back, I mean that was where I, you know, the hair. It, it's eerie because yeah. it looks just like his dad. Wow. When he was how's he, when, and how's he sound? The the he, voice. He sounds similar to his dad. He doesn't sound exactly like his yeah. dad, but he sounds similar. You can he, you can he totally hear it. He sounds. I definitely yeah. hear it. Hear yeah. it in there. Yeah. So you're gonna do some more concerts coming up? We've you got hope? we've got a couple planned. We've got one. Um, planned for Seattle at the end of September uh-huh. and then I think we're going to do one or two maybe in Atlanta Georgia and then after that I don't know okay uh, we've got a couple more planned yeah and then uh, you'll be so. here for the uh, for the centennial uh, bicentennial rather September 15th or 14th around that we'll, we'll, we'll correct the well, dates I'll be, I'll be we, here for the for the uh, Walden Woods banquet ceremony right which and there's is, also a documentary film by Ken Burns coming out too the the new I want to talk about this the as many of you know, I'm sure, they, <clears throat> the state of Massachusetts built a beautiful new visitor center at Walden Pond. And we, we had the dedication ceremony last year. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful facility. It, it is totally solar-powered, generates enough solar electricity in two months to power the thing for an entire year. My goodness. That's amazing. And it, in the woods, no less. In, in the woods. <laughs> yeah. and, and it has interactive exhibits. 
And there is a film by my friend Ken Burns, who was kind enough to to make a about an eight minute film for us, hmm. that will be in constant rotation. And Julie Kaufman, I believe, also was right. That? Yeah, yeah, and his team. And the film will be shown in constant rotation at the visitor center, and it's a beautiful film. And um, I urge people to to come and see the place. I'm I'm going to bring my kids the first chance I get. They needed a new visitor center. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's gorgeous. And they did it upright. Yeah, they really I'm, did. I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that, and we, we we have a good cooperative relationship with the people who run the state reservation. We help each other. We work together for the good of the pond and the good of the public. Well, Don, thank you. You've been more than generous with your time. I appreciate you sitting with us. You're welcome. And um, and good luck the rest of the year. Thank you. I'll probably be seeing you at the gala. Okay. I'll have to scalp some tickets. <laughs> That's September 15th, right? Uh, Sept- September 15th. September 15th. Yeah, we'll, we'll promote all this <coughs> in the introduction and all that kind of stuff. So. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. It. It's our pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much. Something's different, something's changed, and I don't know why. Even the old folks can't recall when it's ever been this hot and dry. Dust devils whirling on the first day of July. It's a hundred degrees at 10 a.m., not a cloud up in the sky. Hardly had a winter, had about a week of spring. Crops are burned up in the fields, there's a blanket of dust on everything. The weatherman is saying that there ain't no change in sight. Lord, I've never been a praying man, but I'm saying one tonight. I'm praying for rain I'm praying for rain Lord, I ain't never asked for much And I don't mean to complain I'm praying for rain I believe that Mother Nature is taking us to school Maybe we just took too much and put too little back It isn't knowledge, it's humility we lack I'm praying for rain
riches and renown But none of this will matter much If the waters don't come down I'm praying for rain I'm praying for rain God, I ain't never asked for much And I don't mean to complain It is obvious how passionate Don is about the Walden Woods project, and the legacy of Thoreau is reflected in his music, his philanthropy, and vision. If you wish to learn more about this wonderful organization, please visit Walden.org. If you want to learn more about Henry David Thoreau, listen to our preceding conversation with Jeffrey Kramer at AboveTheBasement.com. You can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. On behalf of Chuck and myself, thanks for for listening. Tell your friends and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. <laughs>